what we're talking about tonight, um, we might have seen the title, it's called Leading When You're Not in Charge. And this is all about leading exactly where you find yourself right now. It's really easy to think of ourselves um, not as the official leader sometimes in situations where we aren't completely in charge. If, we're found, if we find ourselves in a team that we're not leading, if we're not the official leader of the team, um, or maybe we don't have a team to work with at all. Sometimes it's easy to think of the leader as the CEO or the head teacher or the person that's in charge of the team, the manager. And it might be tempting to think that, you know, oh, unless we're there, we're not really leading. But the truth is, we actually think that leadership is all about influence. We think no matter where you are, you are leading. And actually, if you said yes to Jesus, if you said yes to being led by him, we actually think that he's calling each one of us to lead. And the truth is, actually, that even when you get to those positions of being a CEO or being a head teacher, people who seem like they don't have a boss, they don't have someone to answer to, that's just never the case. If you're a CEO, you've probably got a whole board of people that you're accountable to. If you're a head teacher, you've probably got the council. Even if you're the prime minister, you've got the whole of the government to answer to. The truth is, it'll never feel like you are fully in charge. So we have to work out what it means for us to lead in that space where actually we're not at the top, when actually we don't get the final call. And what this isn't about is about pushing an agenda. If we push an agenda, um, there are generally two outcomes. Firstly, we could push and push and push and eventually get our own way. Maybe we've put out the person um, who was leading and now maybe we're in charge. Maybe we've just pushed and turned everyone slightly against them and we've got our own way. But if we do that, if we push and get our own way, probably what's going to happen is that one day that will happen to us. Because the culture we've created is one where we don't listen to people. It's one where actually it's each man for themselves. That's what happens. Or the other thing that happens is we push and push we don't get our own way, but probably the person who's leading us is really fed up of us and probably isn't going to listen to us anyway. So this isn't about pushing our agenda. And actually, when we look at the Bible, that's not really how Jesus leads either. Actually, leading when you're not in charge is about learning to be the best leader you can be exactly where God has placed you at this moment in time. I'm going to repeat that. Leading when we're not in charge is about learning to be the best leader you can be exactly where God has placed you at this moment in time. It's not about waiting till we're in charge to suddenly learn how to lead really well, waiting for that promotion you've always wanted or the title or the desk or the office. In fact, it's about thinking what kind of leader we want to be before we get there. So actually when we get to wherever we deem the top to be, we, we know already how to be an excellent, distinctly Christian leader. And while we're in this space um, of learning, while we're in this space of looking up to others who are leading us, we need to be constantly learning. We can always be learning from the people around us. So when we're being led, we should be asking ourselves these questions. How does this person lead? What is this leadership style like? The person I'm currently under, what is that like to be led by them? Does it work? Do I like being led by that? And actually, we need to take note of what is it about their leadership that we love so that we can take that on as well. So maybe just think to yourself really quickly and make a note. Who is someone you love being led by? And what is it that they do that means you love it? 
So who do you love being led by? And what is it about their leadership that makes you love that? I'm just going to give you a couple of seconds just to note that down. And maybe you can come back to that later this week and just have a little think. So when I was at university, um, a few of my friends and I were asked um, to be on the student team at church. And once everyone has, had accepted, our student pastor got us together. She sat us down and she took us through the expectations of what it was to be on this team. She wanted us to be setting an example for the rest of the student group. So we were told quite clearly um, what was acceptable and what wasn't. I knew that um, it was my job to love all the students really well, but I also knew that actually if I found myself in a place where I was compromising on my integrity, or maybe I'd slipped up, I had to call my student pastor the next day. That was the deal. That she said, actually, it's okay if that happens, but you need to tell me. We're going to have a team that's accountable to each other, and we want to be holding each other to a higher standard. And I love that because actually before that time, I've been really struggling um, with those things. Actually, my first year of uni, I really struggled with um, drinking too much and just being a bit silly. And actually, when I got to my second year and she asked me to be on team, I was a bit nervous. I was like, oh, no, like, I'm struggling with this stuff. But then knowing that actually I was in a group of people and we were all holding each other to this highest standard. We were all in it together. It made it that much easier for me. And so now, actually, anytime I'm leading a team, maybe that's not exactly what I say, but I love to be really clear. What are the expectations for being on this team? What are we holding each other to? Every time we run a conference as One Life, we hold a team meeting beforehand and we say really clearly what it is to be on team. We don't say, um, if you do something, you need to call me and Liz right now. Um, but what we say is, you know, this is what our culture is. You know, we want to be, we talk about being family. We talk about being leaders who are learning, as you all know. Um, and we talk about, I've forgotten our third thing, which is awful. We talk about a third thing. Liz, do you know what it is? Leading. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we talk about leading. So those are kind of three points. That's very embarrassing. Um, that we talk about at every conference, and we make it really clear. Actually, this is what we expect of you. This is what we want, and actually, this isn't. And even um, for this week, you'll notice that we've had you know, the teams obviously here, and then we've had a few people dropping in to help us. We had a team meeting on Monday morning with people who know and love One Life, and we still went through those things. So actually, I think it's so important. I've learned that from someone. When you're leading a team, setting expectations is great. It's a great thing. And actually, we can be learning as well. What kind of thing don't we like being led by? Maybe you can think of leaders you've experienced previously, maybe in a job, maybe in school or uni, that you've thought, you know what, I hate being led by them. There's something about their leadership that really kind of puts me off, or there's something that makes me feel like I can't bring my full self. What is that? Make a note of it and see actually how can you develop your leadership so that that doesn't happen. So often those things that we don't appreciate about leaders are rooted in things like insecurity, what are the things that we want to deal with? Actually, that's not coming up when we're leading others. We don't all need to fall down at the same hurdle to learn the same lesson. Let's learn from each other. What do we want to lead like? And um, Obviously, we want to use the Bible um, as our first example for how we learn to lead. And I actually just want to pull out kind of two threads about how the Bible talks about leadership. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, um, now is a great time to open it. Um, we're going to be looking um, at James 3, verse 1. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, 
Um, and then I'm going to read it out. So James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So I'll just repeat that. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So that's James 3 verse 1. And then we're also going to look at 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 4. So that's 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 4. And I'll just read that out. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So what we're going to do is we're going to try something different. Um, what I want to do is looking at those two passages, just in the chat function on Zoom, we're going to go there, we're going to use all the functions of Zoom today. Um, just type out maybe what is one thing that you pick out as a leader that we need to take note of? What do we need to take note of from those two passages? Being above reproach, yes, love that. Being hospitable, isn't that amazing? Like hospitality, that's often something we don't really think of as leaders, isn't it? Responsibility, actually, the weight of leadership and um, being held accountable. Yeah. Faithfulness. What a beautiful thing to have. Gentleness as well. Imagine if more of our leaders um, took on that gentleness, not a lover of money as well. Imagine if um, actually we were leaders in every sphere and that was something we took on ourselves, not a lover of money. As a leader, we're accountable to those we lead. Yes, love that. Accountability before God, completely, how we use our power. Being respectful in all areas of life. I love that, the way it mentions family. That's included in that, isn't it? The instruction from God, yes. That we have a lot expected of us. That's, that's it, isn't it? Um, it's higher standards than for others. Self-controlled. Having it right on the inside reflects our leadership, exactly. Managing your own family, imagine that well. It's like that story from last night with that church leader who's kicking their child away. Um, able to teach, able to communicate. Considering the experience of those you are leading, it's brilliant. Not quarrelsome, peaceful, being temperate. These are brilliant. All of those are completely true. So actually those are the things that as leaders we want to be. So we want to be doing all of those things and aiming for those. And then we're going to look at another passage. And this is instructions on how to treat leaders. So we're going to look at Romans 13, verse 1. So Romans 13, verse 1. And this says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And it's a pretty sweeping statement, isn't it? It's really sweeping. Actually, we need to submit um, to governing authorities. We need to um, give them authority. We need to respect them. So what does that look like? Well, I don't think it looks like being silent during injustice. There are obviously exemptions to this. Actually, there are loads of examples in the Bible where actually they don't submit to authority. But it's things like, you know, when sharing the gospel is illegal, they're still doing it. That's not submitting to authority in that way. Actually, when people are um, being unfairly treated, 
and you're not allowed to speak up against that, actually, it is our job to speak up against that. It's not about being silenced and when there's injustice, but actually there is a huge difference in how we use our voice when it comes to that. There is a huge difference between um, slating um, the Prime Minister on our Instagram <coughs> than there is to writing a letter to our local MP. How are we using our democratic voice as opposed to our social media voice? Alongside this, um, you know, it's not easy. And actually, there isn't a caveat saying respect your leaders unless they're not a good leader or only as long as you agree with them. Actually, we're still called to show them respect. We are called to love our enemies. We're called to pray for those who mistreat us. And so actually, yes, let's use our voice to discuss. Let's use our voice to pray for people. Let's use our voice to disagree. But are we ever called to demean someone? No. Are we ever called to um, name call? No. And actually, um, I think in politics, this is especially relevant. We need to use our voice to bring unity. That is what we are to bring. And imagine if Christians rose up in every single political party. What would happen to our society? What would happen to our politics? I'm so often um, saddened, actually, when I see Christians on social media um, who are absolutely slamming one party or another. And actually, the enemy loves us to get distracted and think that other people are the enemy rather than him. Actually, the enemy is the enemy and other people we might disagree with, but that doesn't mean that they are evil. Actually, we need to pray for people. We need to see the good in them and we need to work together. So how are we using our voices to do that? And actually, we need, as leaders, we have to look at both of those passages. So I think as a leader, if you just read uh, Romans 13 verse 1, thinking, do you know what? Everyone needs to submit to me because actually I've been put in charge by God. Um, I'm ordained by God. So actually, you listen to me. You respect me. It's all about me. That's not going to end particularly well. That kind of sounds um, not like a democracy. What's the other word? A dictatorship. That's what I'm trying to say. It sounds like a dictatorship. But actually, as leaders, we need to read the other passages. As leaders, we are called to be beyond reproach. So as followers, we need to respect our leaders. And as a leader, we need to be someone who is worth respecting. So as followers, we need to respect our leaders. And as leaders, we need to be someone worth respecting. And it's really clear that there is a really high bar set. We've all said that, that more is expected of leaders. We're told to be above reproach. And I love that. I love that phrase, above reproach. And that means that nothing in our actions should leave a question over our morality. And it's asking ourselves that question, what are people going to assume? And this isn't about being people pleasing, about caring what people think above what God thinks. But actually, um, there's a passage where Jesus talks about, you know, if any of you lead someone else into sin, he talks, you know, if any one of you leads one of these children, these little lambs into sin, actually, it's going to be pretty bad for that person. We need to be aware of our own influence when we're leading. We need to know that actually our actions need to be above reproach. And I remember really clearly um, when me and Rich were engaged um, a couple of years ago, and we were thinking, do you know what, it would be so great to go on holiday together. That would be so nice. And we had this plan. We were going to go to Italy and it was going to be beautiful. And, you know, we were going to book and we were going to book somewhere where we could stay in separate rooms, definitely separate beds. You know, it was all going to be fine. And I was really excited about it. And then Rich spoke to one of his um, wise, godly friends and said, you know, we're planning this holiday. And his friend was like, do you really think that's a good idea? 
do you really think that's a good idea? And like, what do you think that looks like to everyone else? And obviously, um, instead of being very godly and like, that's wise, I was just like, who does this person think he is? What is wrong with him? And then after about five minutes, I was like, yes, he's right. I know he's right. Um, but actually, the truth was that what were people going to assume if they just saw pictures of us on holiday together somewhere? Probably they would just assume we were sleeping together. Probably they wouldn't assume that we had made a real effort to share different beds, to set really clear boundaries because probably on Instagram I would have posted a little selfie of us rather than the picture of us sleeping in separate beds just to make it really clear for everyone because that would be really weird but actually as leaders what are we communicating what are we leading other people towards I'm aware that as someone who works for One Life I've probably got 15 16 year olds following me on Instagram who are thinking all oh, right that's what a Christian leader acts like what does our life say is you know our social media imprint above reproach are we thinking about that as leaders? Because we need to be as well. So actually, are we above reproach in absolutely everything? And again, it's not about being perfect, but it's about having integrity. It's about being the same when we're on the stage as to when we're interacting with our family. It's about being the same on the Friday night and appearing the same as we are on the Sunday morning to behave in the manner that we are asking other people to act. So that's just a little precursor of actually what is leadership and what is the call on not us to lead. So actually, what do we do? So we're not in charge. How are we going to lead? So the first thing we do is we need to learn to follow really well. The best leaders around them release others to be the best they can be. And actually, as a follower, how can we release our leaders to be the best they can be? So the first thing we can do in learning to follow well is encouragement. We can encourage. So often we get it into our heads that people who are in charge don't need encouraging anymore. I mean, honestly, how often do we go up to the person that's leading, you know, our football team or the person um, who leads our church who's just given a fantastic sermon or that worship leader who we're actually pretty intimidated by? Or even your boss, how often do we really go up to them and say, do you know what, thank you so much that you just did such a great job. It's really hard sometimes, especially if they're a bit intimidating. And usually there is a couple of reasons why we do this. Maybe we convince ourselves that they're so good, they don't need encouraging. That actually, they're so good, they probably actually already know. Uh, maybe we think, you know, actually, we're a little bit jealous um, of their position. Do you know what, actually, I really wish I was up there. So I'm going to withhold my encouragement from them because I, I would rather be up there. Or maybe actually, do you know what? We actually don't think they're doing a very good job. And so actually we hold off encouragement because we're thinking, well, you don't really deserve it anyway. But the truth is that none of those reasons are good enough not to encourage. We are called to be an encouraging people. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about being an encouraging people. And we need to take that job seriously, especially when it's the people above us. They need encouragement too. No one is ever too good not to need encouragement. I can say without a doubt that a lot of people that you would assume um, are too good to need encouragement probably come off some stage somewhere and feel cripplingly insecure because actually no one goes up to them and says, thank you so much, that was great because people are too scared. And you know what, I've been that person before and maybe I hadn't done a great job, but actually standing on a stage in front of a room of people and being really vulnerable and then kind of slinking off to the back and people like half looking at you, 
you're like, maybe I've done a really awful job. You know, it's that feeling. And actually, I'm going to assume that that wasn't the truth. But actually, sometimes I'm that person and it feels a bit scary to go up to the person who's just done a good job. You know, I've actually challenged myself before. And, um, you know, obviously we had Mike speaking um, on Wednesday night. But you know what? I grew up going to Soul Survivor Festival. And so actually in my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's actually Mike Pilavachi. Like, he's actually quite intimidating. And I remember one time, I thought he'd given a really fantastic talk. And I, ha- and I was like, you know what, I really want to encourage him. And I said to Rich, I was like, Rich, I think I need to encourage him because I think he did a really good job. And Rich was like, okay, well, like, go and do it. And I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. He's like, no, just go and do it. I was like, no, 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 I can't. And eventually I just about managed, just literally as he was walking out of the door at church, to be like, Mike, thank you so much. I really enjoyed your talk. That was it. He just said thanks. It was a fine interaction. But actually in me, there was so much fear because I was like, oh, he, he doesn't want to hear it. And I have no idea whether he thought he'd done a good job or not. But actually, I can imagine that it was just nice to hear that from someone. Because I imagine probably most people at our church are probably a little bit scared to do that sometimes. So who is that person you can encourage? And even if it's someone you think, do you know what? Um, they're actually not that good, so I'm not going to encourage them. Well, probably in that case, we need to help them find what they are good at. So look for something. We are called to be encouragers, not dependent on who it is, but because of who our God is. So I'm going to give you a minute and just pray and ask God, which person who is currently leading you? can you encourage who can you step out and encourage within this next week and I want you to write it down actually we're going to share that in our breakout groups to be accountable together that we are going to be a people of encouragement so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to ask God and then write that person down the first thing we do if we're going to follow well is encourage our leaders the second thing we're going to do is we're going to pray for our leaders um, if someone has a Bible, who has a Bible in front of them? Can I get you to read out some Bible for me? Annalena, fantastic. Would you read out 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So what does it say about praying for our leaders? It says, do it. Just do it. Actually, if we want to thrive, if we want those who are leading us to thrive, and we know that prayer is powerful, it should be natural for us to pray for our leaders. And I actually think it also becomes easier to follow people once we start to pray for them. God often does something in our heart when we start to pray for them. And often, actually, if we're struggling with our leaders, if we're finding them difficult, if you're finding your boss difficult or your friend that's leading the football team difficult, pray for them. Ask God to show you his heart for them. Ask God, what are they good at? Why have you put them in that place? And I'm going to ask you again on the chat, if you had to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, uh, praying for your leaders, one being I've never even thought about praying for my leaders, 10 being every minute of every day, or maybe, you know, once a day, um, I specifically pray for my leaders because I really care about that. If you were to rate yourself a one to 10, what would you give? Me, I'd probably give myself a four. I'm probably not that good. And actually, all of us are pretty much in the same ballpark. A lot of us aren't very good at that. And actually, it's not something we really talk about. It's not something we really think about that's really preached on, probably because church leaders feel a little bit awkward about it, being like, please pray for me. Um, But actually, it is so needed. We need to be praying for our leaders. And my question is, how could you get up two points on that scale? 
Is it setting an alarm that every day goes off at a specific time that you choose to pray, maybe for Boris Johnson, maybe for the Queen, maybe for your church leader, maybe for your university chancellor? Who is it that you want to pray for and when are you going to do that? What other ideas could you do? Maybe you and a friend once a week could come together to specifically pray for your leaders. Imagine what would happen if we all committed to praying for our church leaders, for Boris Johnson, for the chancellor of your university, for the CEO of the company you work for. If we really believe that prayer works, what could happen? What would happen if all those people came to know Jesus in a beautiful, intimate way? What do you think would change? If leaders in all spheres of society came to know Jesus, what would happen? And that should really excite us. And if that excites us, we need to get on and start praying for them, that God would move, that God would do something in our nation. Because actually, when we see leaders in those places start to know him, I think we'll see a shift. You know, we talk about raising up leaders and going into every spirit, and that is amazing. And we hope that, you know, in 10 and 20 years, actually, there will be top leaders in every sphere who know and love Jesus and lead in a way that changes the culture of those places. But actually, what if those people who are already there were meeting Jesus through dreams? What if they were having encounters with him? Because actually, a generation were praying for them that they would come to know him. Imagine what might happen. I feel excited about that. So we can encourage leaders and we can pray for them. The third thing that we can do, um, if we want to be really good followers, to train ourselves to lead when we're not in charge, is positivity. So positivity. The CEO of Disney, a guy called Robert Iger, um, recently wrote a book called A Ride of a Lifetime. And in that book, he talks about his top 10 kind of leadership attributes that he looks for in leaders and that he values. And he's been the CEO of Disney for the last 20-ish years, and he's been really successful in that. And positivity is right at the top of that list for him. And actually, positivity can get a bit of a bad, bad time. It can get a bit of a bad name. We can kind of think of people who are just a bit overexcited in general, who are jumping up and down and saying yes to anything. But actually, positivity and enthusiasm are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Positivity isn't about being over-enthusiastic about everything. All it is is a choice to see the gold in anything. So it's not about being enthusiastic about everything. It's the choice to see the gold in anything. And the question with this that we need to ask ourselves is, do we come up with problems or solutions? Do we come up to problems with problems or solutions? Because the truth is that positivity breathes life into ideas, whereas negativity drains it. And actually in a team, leaders love it when people come into meetings with positivity, when they come in with solutions and they can appreciate the ideas of others and breathe hope onto those ideas. Because there is nothing worse than someone coming into a meeting and suddenly spotting 20 problems and no solutions. All that does is drain all the energy from the meeting. All it does is make the team just feel completely drained. And someone actually said on Wednesday, I think it might have been Gemma, that actually nothing kills an idea or a dream faster than the roll of that eyes. Nothing kills it faster than when someone kind of rolls their eyes and says, oh, do you know what? I've heard that before. And actually, I've got a couple of friends, uh, one of which is a self-confessed optimist, 
the other who is a self-confessed pessimist. And when we get together, the same thing happens every time. Friend A, the friend who is this really enthusiastic, positive person, has found the next best thing. She has found an amazing coffee shop that we all need to go and try right now. She has found the next best destination for our girls' trip, and it is going to be the time of a, of a lifetime. It's going to be amazing. Friend B, who is a self-confessed pessimist, comes in and points out the 200 problems with the idea of why we cannot go together on this girls' holiday, including because we all need to take holiday and we won't be able to take it at the same time because the weather is bad at this time of year that she wants to go. When will we actually do that? How would everyone afford it? This is a silly idea. And all that happens is that my friend who was up here, she was excited about something, she was ready to go. All that happened is she has been crushed. She's been crushed. Her idea has been crushed. Any onlooker who's just seen this conversation happen now feels really awkward and negative. And my friend who was pessimistic before now just feels even more pessimistic. All that happens is that everyone feels rubbish after that. And actually, we need to be aware of how we impact those around us. Are we people that welcome new ideas or are we people that shoot them down? The truth is, if you have the capability to see a problem, you also have the capability to see a solution. I'm gonna repeat that. If you have the capability to see a problem, you also have the capability to see a solution. And it doesn't have to be the solution that finally solves everything. But the more we practice solutions, the more we practice and problem solving, the better at it we become. We need to have a solution mindset rather than a problem mindset. And I know if you're someone that's very much into details, if you're a details person, maybe actually you feel like that a lot of the time. Maybe you're in a team and you think, you know what, you have no idea. My team is so up in the clouds all the time and I'm having to drag them down every day because how would we achieve all these things? Actually, what are the solutions you can be bringing into that space? Vision is good and we need people who are good at executing vision. We need people who are great problem spotters and problem solvers. So actually, how can we train ourselves to become like that and bring solutions to the problems that we spot? Choosing positivity will have an impact on your whole team. And actually, those um, who are leading you will be massively impacted if you choose to be positive. And the last pointer in learning to follow well is this. It is submitting to decisions. And all this looks like is giving your point of view, maybe in a meeting or in an email chain or whatever it is, however you discuss ideas. But at the end of the discussion, if the decision is not what you wanted, all it means is just fully backing whatever has been decided. So all this looks like is really giving your opinion and listening to others and then submitting. If you think about playing for a sports team, they all gather together together. And their leavers tell them what tactic they're doing. You know, Jürgen Klopp probably gathers Liverpool around. He says, right, guys, this is the tactic we're going for today. You know, we're going to do this. And actually, if someone pipes up and says, do you know what? I actually think this will be a really good idea instead. I think I should get the ball and then I'll shoot. And if he says, if then Klopp says, do you know what? No, like, that's not what we're going to do today. And everyone says, OK, sure, let's not do that. But then that one player who said, do you know what? Actually, I have a different idea. If they still do their own thing, What's going to happen to the game? They're not going to win because actually their team will be divided. They won't all be on the same page and they'll be traveling in different directions. And in a sports team, this is really obvious 
But actually, when it comes to teams that aren't like that, if we're a dispersed team, especially at the moment during lockdown, actually, if we're a team that's kind of all working on our own stuff, if we don't fully submit to what's happening, if we kind of, you know, kind of sulk slightly, or if we don't do our best because of that, all that happens is that the team as a whole suffers. A disunited team suffers the consequences. So actually, if we want to follow well, we need to be able to submit to decisions, even if we didn't want that decision in the first place. So to follow well, we need to put all of those pointers into place. So that's the first thing we want to do when we're leading, not when we're not in charge. We want to follow well. The second thing that we want to do when we're leading, when we're not in charge, is committing to excellence. So you're not in charge, you're not in charge of everything. But what is that one thing that you are in charge of? Even when we're not leading a team, there will almost always be something that we actually do have control over, no matter how small. Maybe it's a spreadsheet or a budget. Maybe it's a flyer or something else that actually could seem really trivial, but you could choose to do excellently. If we can hone in on kind of our circle of excellence, what that could be, the area in which we have control and can therefore ensure excellence, we can display what we are giving our absolute best to what we are doing. And actually, there are a couple of reasons why we should choose to commit to excellence. The first one is that actually our God is a God of excellence. Our God is a God of excellence. And actually, if we believe that we have his spirit in us, the spirit of the one who created the, the earth, the one who threw the stars into space, the one who designed sunsets and sunrises, actually, we have that creativity in us. And we want to be showing what God could do through the things that our hands touch. So actually, how can we bring the creativity of God into something we're creating? How can we bring the life of God into that spreadsheet you have? I don't know about that. I'm sure there's a way. And the second reason why we want to commit to excellence is because we want to show the people that we're following what we can do. Actually, we want to show them that actually we care about our work, that we're diligent. The Bible talks about diligence. It says, you know, if you have the gift of leadership, do it diligently. Actually, how can we be diligent about what we're doing to honour our leaders? So actually, we can be people that commit to making things excellent, even if it wasn't the thing that maybe that we thought was the best idea. And this takes us back to submitting to authority. Maybe actually it's the idea that we were completely against in the meeting, but it was chosen anyway, and they've stuck with it. How are you going to do that? What is that choice? I'm going to share um, a little clip that I love, which I think is a fantastic example of committing to excellence. Um, and this is a clip from Friends. So just a bit of a backstory. Um, I hope everyone has seen Friends. If you haven't, it's a great show. Um, but Rachel is having a birthday party and Monica and Phoebe have decided to plan it together. But it turns out Monica actually planned everything herself. She didn't let Phoebe plan anything, really. She'd made all the plans already. And so the thing Phoebe was allowed to be in charge of is cups and ice. And I just want to show you what Phoebe managed to do with cups and ice, because I think it is a fantastic example of leading with excellence. So I just think that is the most brilliant example of actually leading with excellence, even when it wasn't a thing you wanted to do, even when you think, you know what, this is a rubbish idea. I don't care about the cups and ice. Actually, how can you bring excellence into that space? What is your cups and ice? And actually, how incredible would it be if we were people that actually everything we did if, as Christians, we were known as people who gave up all when we were working on something. If we were known as the most diligent workers, as the people with the best creativity. 
when I started working for One Life, um, when I was an intern, um, we had an app in development. It had been fundraised for, someone had really worked hard to raise money for this app. Um, and the person who had planned it was really excited about it. I, however, was not so excited about the app. I thought it seemed like a fine idea. Um, but soon enough, the app became my job. So every week I had to produce new content for the app. Either I had to write that myself or I had to kind of get someone else in to do that. And often that meant um, chasing people up with about a million emails. Um, if, you, if you're someone that has to kind of work with others, you probably know that sometimes when you're trying to collaborate, you have to then chase them up for quite a long time. Um, and so often it was like right down to the deadline, chasing people for this. It was a lot of hard work. So I was putting blood, sweat and tears into this app. And it finally came around that it was the launch. We were really excited. Um, but then every day after it launched, I would get an email with how many people had viewed it each day and how long they had viewed it for. Considering I viewed it every day on my phone, my mum also viewed it every day on her phone, and there were three views every day on the app, I knew for a fact that the app probably wasn't really working as much as we wanted it to. In fact, there were actually seven members of the One Life team at that time. So maybe one of the team was looking at it, but the whole team wasn't even looking at it. And no, none of the own people that we wanted to be engaging with it were. It wasn't really working. And I started bringing it to meetings and saying, guys, I just don't think the app's really working. And I was met with, do you know what, let's just keep trying, which was fair enough. Let's keep trying. But to be honest, I couldn't really be bothered. I didn't think it was working. I didn't think it was worth it. But I decided, instead of saying, you know what, I give up, because actually I knew that no one would really notice if I didn't do it, because I knew none of them were looking at it anyway. Actually, I thought, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. So instead, for the next six months, um, I carried on, I carried on collating um, different people's stuff for the app, I carried on writing for it, and carried on being slightly depressed when I saw that it was me and my mum who were looking at it. And eventually, after six months, um, they finally said, you know what, actually, we don't think this is working. Let's just scrap it for now um, because it's not the right timing. But I am convinced. And um, during that year, I asked um, One Life to hire me. That is how I got my job, by sending an email and asking them to hire me. And actually, I'm convinced that if during that year, if, you know, four weeks in, we hadn't had any views on the app, if I had decided, do you know what, I'm not going to give my best anymore. Actually, I don't think it's working. Actually, I think, you know what, I'll just do the least possible work I can do and I'll blame it on someone else because they didn't send it to me. If I had done that, I actually don't think I would have this job right now. I don't think I would be where I am because actually they saw that I would work hard. They saw that I was going to do what I said I did, that I would be diligent, even when they knew that I didn't really want to be doing that wrong. I kept going. So actually, what is the thing that you are in charge of, that you can be leading really well? What is your circle of excellence that you might not even want to be your circle of excellence, but what can you do with that? What is your cups and ice? And then another thing we can do, we're leading when we're not in charge. What else can we lead? We can lead ourselves well. Thomas J. Watson, who is the head of IBM, says, nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. I'm going to read that again. Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. The ultimate place that you have leadership authority is over your own life. It is so easy to see ourselves as victims of busyness and pressures, but actually we all have our own voices, we have our own wills, and we need to learn how to lead ourselves. 
we need to learn how to lead ourselves well. And I love thinking about this as, you know, parents put in boundaries for children. They say, you know, this is your bedtime. You can have this for dinner. And it's not because they're like, do you know what? We have all the fun after, you know, 8 p.m. So actually, I'm going to make you go to bed so I can have a bit of time. Maybe there is a slight bit of that sometimes. But actually, it's because they know that their child will be really overtired in the morning if they don't go to bed. But actually, how rubbish are we at doing that for ourselves? So a few things that we can do to lead ourselves really well. First thing is resting. And I'm not going to spend ages on this because we spoke about Sabbath yesterday. But it really is so important. If we aren't putting in a Sabbath before we have that job, before we are fully in charge of something, there is no chance that we are going to find time to do that once we have that job. Once we have that role we're working towards, there is no chance we will manage to fit that in then if we're not doing it now. Our God values presence rather than productivity. He values our presence, not our productivity. So actually, how are we going to give that to him? So even a Sabbath, but also just thinking about what time do you go to bed? Are we looking after ourselves well? And um, there's a great book by a guy called Matthew Walker and um, called Why We Sleep, which is just interesting and terrifying um, about the effect that sleep has on our body. Um, and I remember one thing I read in it and um, which actually really scared me was that if you're not waking up um, kind of before your alarm most days or at your alarm naturally, actually you're not getting enough sleep. You are chronically overtired if, that's, if you're not naturally waking up then. Um, obviously, there will be seasons of life where that's not possible um, to get to bed early. But actually, for a lot of us, we do have that option. We could go to bed an hour earlier and wake up feeling more refreshed. And actually, the physiological um, impact that that will have on us, your life expectancy, your mental well-being, your physical health, getting enough sleep is one of the best things we can do. Again, with rest, we take time away from our phones, away from notifications. And maybe on your Sabbath, that might be an opportunity to do that. And again, we would recommend listening um, to the Sabbath series, um, which we will send you a link to in the email. And the next thing we can do um, is invest in ourselves. So if we want to lead ourselves well, we want to invest in ourselves. Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. What are the talents that God has given to you that you can invest in and multiply for his kingdom? Actually, if we want to be the best leaders we can possibly be, we need to invest in ourselves to get there. And for me, that looks like listening to a lot of podcasts and listening to books and making time to reflect. It looks like pursuing conversations with people that I respect as leaders so I can learn from them. What is it that you could do to invest in yourself? Actually, coming along to this week is a great first step. You've already said, you know, I want to invest in my leadership. But what else throughout the year could you be doing? to invest in yourself. And the final thing we can do with this is taking risks. And actually I was so struck on Wednesday at the panel by how, everyone, how much everyone was saying about being willing to fail. But as part of investing in ourselves, we need to be willing to be stretched. That might look like volunteering to do something you would love to do, but think someone else might be better at. It might look like, um, I don't know what that looks like actually for you, what, could, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What is a risk you could take or something you could ask to do or be involved with? And actually, ladies, um, this is very much for us. Um, I recently read a statistic um, that said around if um, this is a sweeping statement, so please don't be offended to anyone. Um, but I read a statistic that apparently, um, generally, if a man reads a job description and he is qualified for 20% of that job, He's kind of happy to apply for it. He thinks, do you know what? I could probably do that. On the other side, apparently, 
Um, with women, if they read a job description and they are unqualified for 20% of it, they're unlikely to apply because they see that actually, you know, they're not qualified by extra 20%. And actually, I recognise that in myself, um, being completely honest. Um, I actually remember sitting in a team meeting um, and someone offered um, out a piece of work and I thought, oh, do you know what, I would love to do that, but I'm just not sure if I'm qualified enough. I'm not sure if, you know, I'd be good enough to do that. And someone else in the team who was brilliant, but who was less senior than me, who was less experienced, um, a guy said, jumped in straight away and said, oh, I'd love to do that. And in that moment, I was like, oh, right, he thought he could do it. Oh, maybe I could have done that. But actually, so often we can excuse ourselves and write ourselves off from doing things because we don't think we're experienced enough. We don't think we're qualified enough when actually we need to stretch ourselves instead. So what could you do to stretch yourself and take a risk so you can grow in your leadership? The final thing that we want to do when we're leading, when we're not in charge, is releasing others. We all know that the best leaders around are those who invest and release in the ones around them. And it can be tempting to wait until we are in charge to finally start to release things, to finally start investing in others properly. But if we wait until we're in charge to do that, we probably wait. This also means fighting for others, maybe even fighting for those who are competing against you, trusting that actually God fights for you, that he has your back. And someone else doing well doesn't mean that you won't too. It doesn't mean that's taking away from something that God might have prepared for you. We don't need to wait until we're in charge to release others. Actually, we won't be holding on to everything forever. So we want to be holding lightly. We want to be doing ourselves out of jobs because we're raising up people so well that actually they can take it on because we trust God to provide for us. When I was at uni, um, I helped head up a society um, called Just Love. And this was a student society. And I knew um, while I was leading it at the time that actually I was going to have to hand that on when I finished my degree. And so the whole time um, I was leading that, all I was doing was saying, do you know what, who are the people, God, that you want to raise up? Who is it? And just basically trying to encourage everyone around me to do the work. Um, and partly, you know, that was great because it meant I didn't have to do as much because I delegated everything. But actually, it meant that they had a chance to really own it. And when it got to the time um, of the transition of handing over, I remember we were sat in a small flat in Glasgow. We were sat in a little circle um, and there were about 12 of us in the room. And I remember the girl who was taking over for me was there. And I kind of said my final speech and I said, you know, thank you so much. I've loved doing this. And I handed over to her and she just took charge of the meeting. Um, she set really clear boundaries for the team. She kind of called them to more and she set vision in a way that I never did. And in that moment, if I'm completely honest, I felt completely obsolete. It was like, oh, they really don't need me anymore. Because I guess a little bit of me was like, oh, do you know what? It'll be really nice if they slightly fell apart without me. But actually, the truth was that it was brilliant that they didn't. Actually, that was the best thing I could have done. And I'm so proud of that because actually that society has gone on and they've transitioned in leadership multiple times now because that's what they are, a student society. And actually, they have to be willing to do that. But it was just amazing to be able to hand over to someone and see that actually they were released to go and do that. We don't want to create organisations or teams that revolve solely around us because actually we don't know when God is going to ask us to move on to something else. And when we do that, that is when actually it's a nightmare when someone moves on, when God says to do something else. We want to hold things lightly and recognise that God is God, that he is in charge and we're only holding things for a short amount of time. 
So actually, who are the people right now that we can already be releasing? Who can we already be encouraging in this moment so that actually we know that as we hand things on, there will be people there being raised up and ready to go?